Indeed, O oh God, we are a people who have been born with blood spilt by a Savior, a Savior that gave us promises on which we stake our very eternities. We are a people who understand there are no promises made us like the promises made by you. We are a people who have grasped that if life is to make any sense whatsoever, it is a life that is built on the foundations of the promises you made us. Promises like all things do indeed work together for good to them that love you and are the called according to your purpose. Promises that tell us that you will meet all of our needs out of your riches and glory. Promises that say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe on Him should never perish but have everlasting life. We are people who understand that we are lied to day by day. But our God has never lied to us. He has never made a promise that He didn't keep. He has never been unfaithful to a faithless people. He is a God on whom we can indeed build hopes. Even when those death dews gather coolly upon our brow. Even then, even then, it is His promises that undergird us. Our Father, we are a people who know that we have our own dark sides to deal with. We are a people who know that there has been failing this week. We are a people who understand that we are human. And thus all of the incumbent difficulty that that brings us. But underneath all of that, we are yours. We are people redeemed and paid for with a price, an inestimable price that was paid by our Savior and Lord and we've gathered to worship Him today. Father, we've come to tell You how beautiful is Your Son. We've gathered to celebrate how gloriously good what You have done is. Be pleased to hear what we say. In everything we do, including our giving, there is a message here for you, O oh God. Might it be a message that gives you pleasure. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I, I, I know you think this is going to be real long, but I have confined my thoughts, knowing that we would be time-restrained. I have confined my thoughts to some simple ones, just some... Uh, reminders about this supper as we go to it. So turn with me, if you will, uh, to 1 Corinthians 11. And let me read you the words of institution. And I'll make a few observations and we'll head right to the sacrament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what I think of this book that I just read you uh, from. Uh, it is a book of truth. It is a book of aggregate truths. It is a collection of truths. The, the very heartbeat of the Christian faith is that you and I take God at his word. Uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit has put this book together in such a way that there, it contains no error, no contradiction, no myth. Before, because if, uh, if the Holy Spirit erred in Genesis 1, why would we not then think that he might have erred at John 3.16? The Bible is a collection of spiritual, eternal truths. Lots of them. But that's really not my point. My point is to say this. The, 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 what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that though this book is so full of so many spiritual truths... The Lord Jesus decided in his own masterful wisdom to develop an ordinance for only one of them. For only one of these truths. We have an ordinance for only one of them. The doctrine of eternal security. Oh, that is a doctrine we love. We embrace, we, we enjoy knowing that we're eternally secure. But there's no ordinance about eternal security. The doctrine of the second coming. The hope, the grand hope of the believer. We love to think that Jesus will soon come back. And if you're like me, ladies and gentlemen, it would be fine in the next five minutes. But there's no ordinance about the second coming. The Trinity. I mean, the foundation of all orthodoxy is in the Trinity. But there's no ordinance concerning the Trinity. But the truth embodied in this sacrament is the one that Jesus thought is the major one that we cannot afford to ever slip from our memories. And so he builds an institution around it. The one thing that he turns into an institution has to do with what? His miracles? The Sermon on the Mount? No, ladies and gentlemen, the one truth that he saw fit to make an ordinance about embodies the truth of his death. All these truths that we love in here, but the one that he has made into a sacrament is the substitutionary sin-bearing that he accomplished at Calvary. And as you might well expect... That's the truth that is so much hated today. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if I were to stand before you and, and preach to you a life of goodness and a life of kindness to your fellow man and, and throw in a little bit of recycling, then the Washington Post and the New York Times would applaud me. But to tell men that at the center of any hope of life after death 
There is at that center a broken body and spilled blood. To tell men that, oh, the criticisms mount. And the opposition takes dead aim at what it's such drivel. Gang, every time you and I gather to celebrate this sacrament, it is, in the words of the biblical text, it is that you and I proclaim. We proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. That's what we're doing. You and I are about to proclaim. We are about to make a congregational proclamation. We're going to take light and we're going to shine light on it. We're going to draw everyone's attention to something as gory as a broken body and shed blood. And by, by so doing, we are going to remind the world that Christianity, unlike all the other religions that stack up around the world, that Christianity has as its center not some, some kind of ethical living or moral standard. Christianity has as its center a body. A broken body, a dead body, a bruised body, a wounded body, out of which blood flowed. That's what we're doing. And because we understand the great significance of that death, we celebrate with gladness, guys. The God of heaven and earth has been, has been reconciled to sinful men like us. He has seen fit in His grace. To design a salvation that would allow people as wicked as me to have forgiveness through the merits of His Son. That the weight and wrath of His judgment has fallen on His Son instead of falling on the ones who really deserved it. You and me. You and I are about to help the world know a little bit more about the centerpiece of Christianity, which is so widely misunderstood and so hated out there. And then if you add this little piece, that there is exclusivity to our religion, that is, that this broken body and shed blood is the only way to the Father. Oh, my. Oh, how they hate us for being such bigoted. Never minded. Elitists. Gangnam. You and I get to do this until he comes. Because when he comes, we will no longer need those symbols. Because we will have the reality to which those symbols point. And that reality will, sh will light up heaven. And we will dwell in the midst of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now, two other things and I'm finished. There is one other thing in the text that you must not ignore. You are being asked to respond. You are being asked to take and to eat. You are being asked to receive. You're not being asked to look and observe and discuss or critique. You're being asked to take, eat. And you, by so doing, are then identifying yourself 
with this one whose body was broken and blood was shed. You are taking all of the benefits of what he has done and accomplished and appropriating them to your own soul. And you do that, ladies and gentlemen, not by coming and bringing. This institution does not ask you to bring something. It asks you to take something. It does not ask you to offer something. It asks you to receive something. Ladies and gentlemen, if you come to this table with your hands full of all of your supposed merit, you will leave it empty-handed. But if you come to this table with your hands empty, only desirous of receiving that which is provided for, for you in Christ, then we leave. Wealthy people. Ladies and gentlemen, I got to do all the talking. But you get to do the proclaiming. Let's proclaim together. One other thing that I want to mention and then we'll pray. You see any empty seats around you? While you receive these elements this morning, I want to make this suggestion. Why don't you pray for the loved one or the family member that you know who does not know Jesus Christ and that the next time that we gather around this table, that empty chair next to you will be filled with someone who has newly been brought to Christ. Just a thought. Let's pray. Our Father, I do thank You for these fresh reminders, this monthly proclamation that we get to make, even though the world doesn't understand it, thinks we're cannibals, and hates our exclusivity. They love morality. They love do-goodism. They love to come to a spiritual table and bring and set before You all of their goodnesses. Oh God, we have we come in a completely opposite manner. We come knowing that we have nothing to offer. We come knowing that our only response must be to take and to eat from the gracious blood-stained hands of Jesus Christ. Might we feed on Him now as we gather about this table. We pray in Jesus' name.